So my guest on today's show is Danny Eichenhorst. Danny has been a client of mine, a member of the mastermind that I run. Uh, but over the last three years, I've really been able to watch her uh, really come into our industry, grow within that industry. Now she's building a really powerful uh, restaurant group uh, called Hustle Hospitality in St. Louis. It's incredible watching um, her journey throughout that. And I'm really excited to be able to share that with you today on the Restaurant Strategy Podcast. There's an old saying that goes something like this. You'll only find three kinds of people in the world. Those who see, those who will never see, and those who can see when shown. This is Restaurant Strategy, a podcast with answers for anyone who's looking. My name is Chip Close, and this is Restaurant Strategy, a podcast dedicated solely to helping you build a more profitable restaurant. We cover marketing operations and everything in between. Each week, I leverage my 20-plus years in the industry to help you build that more profitable and more sustainable business. I also work directly with operators all over the world through my P3 Mastermind program. What are the three Ps? They stand for profit, process, and progress. If you've got a busy restaurant, if you've been around for a while but struggle to generate consistent, predictable 20% profits month after month, then please set up a free 30-minute coaching call with me. I'll get to learn more about you and your restaurant. You'll get to ask some questions about the program I run to see if you are a good fit for that program. Visit restaurantstrategypodcast.com slash schedule. As always, you'll find that link in the show notes. Now, we all know managing costs is one of the most important parts of running a profitable restaurant, especially now. But between fluctuating vendor prices, waste, labor, and the never-ending list of tasks that demand your attention on a daily basis, it can be challenging for even the most experienced of us to manage those costs well. That's where Margin Edge comes in. Margin Edge is a complete restaurant management software that automatically uses data from your POS and invoices to show you your food and labor costs in real time. Don't wait until it's too late. Margin Edge gives you tools to make decisions in the moment, like a daily P&L, price alerts on key ingredients, and real-time plate costs, all without ever having to touch a spreadsheet. Take control of your costs, work more efficiently, and be more profitable. Learn more at MarginEdge.com slash chip. As always, you'll find that link in the show notes. Now, as I said at the top, my guest on today's show is actually one of my clients, a member of the mastermind group that I run. She is the uh, co-founder and CEO of Hustle Hospitality. I absolutely love her smart, passionate, insightful, tons of uh, tons of great insights, I'm sure, uh, as we get into her journey. Danny Eichenhorst, welcome to the show. Thank you, Chip. It's been a long time. I'm, I'm excited uh, to make the cut. This is one of my favorite podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> uh, full uh, full disclosure, uh, Danny and I have known each other for a while now. Uh, she's been in the mastermind group that I run. Uh, she is now in it for her second year and uh, watching her restaurant grow. I, I just thought, I mean, I love working with her. I love watching her work closely with her team. Um, but there's also just a really compelling story there to be told about how she came to her company, how she She's uh, grown her company to where it is now and sort of what they've got in the future. And that's really the story that I wanted to uh, to tell by having her on today. So uh, we're going to get into a lot over the course of the next, let's say, hour. I'm excited. Let's go. So <laughs> let's go back a couple of years um, because uh, you did not lead a life in hospitality. You didn't set out, uh, at least as I understand, as I've gotten to know you, you did not set out to uh, to run a uh, restaurant group. You did not set out to have a career in hospitality. So um, talk to me, explain to the listeners how you came to the restaurant industry, how it is that you dove in pretty much head first. Yeah, well, that's yeah, that's accurate. Um, my background was as a community builder, so I was a, for a little while as a freelance writer, and then I went and I worked for nonprofits, and that was my hope was to stay in that nonprofit space. I helped do a lot of big community initiatives in St. Louis, um, the revamp of our arch, and you know, putting in parks and trails, things like that. Um, and I loved my job, but at some point, I realized that there, I kind of felt a calling to go do marketing and um, and sort of uh, helping startups. And I really felt called to work in that space and nonprofits, but as an outsider to help them. Because I think when you work inside, you can get bogged down by all the red tape and things that come with working in companies like that. 
Um, and along the way, I, I picked up a couple of mom and pop restaurant clients to help with their marketing. And, you know, it's a really interesting, we're, I guess, an interesting group of people yeah. <laughs> in that we're trying to do so many things. Um, and it, it was a real challenge for me to be able to help them adequately as an outsider. And so I, I found myself sort of melding with them um, and really being sort of a, a presence in their restaurants. And one of them was my friend, Steve. He owned a company called Steve's Hot Dogs. And He's a well-known singer for a band that that travels everywhere. It's called The Urge. And, you know, he was struggling with running a restaurant and running a music career. And um, at some point, I took a job as the COO of a Keller Williams company and was loving what I was doing there. And I wasn't doing his marketing anymore. But um, he reached out to me and just said, hey, I I'm, I'm, think I'm going to need to close the restaurant. Can you help me make the announcement? And um, I sort of planted the seed because I knew like I helped him with his crowdfunding campaign. I helped him with um, just everything that they used to do. And he had a built in community that was unlike any client I'd worked with previously. And I just thought, what a shame if this goes away. And so I said, hey, if, if you want, I'll partner with you. I'll invest. I'll be a partner. We'll turn this around. We'll figure it out. And he was just kind of worn down and he said, I don't think I can do it. And I thought in my head, I'll show him. <laughs> and so <Yeah. laughs> I, I, uh, I did this sort of grand goodbye. And like within, within an hour of making the announcement, I, I shot out a video. I reached out to every reporter I knew. And everybody in the whole world got the news that Steve's Hot Dogs was closing. And they just they just freaked out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> And so, you know, over a course of a week, we had lines down the street and um, uh, we were on every news station announcing he was closing. Everybody came to say their goodbyes. And it was in the course of everybody saying their goodbyes that he um, realized he wanted to stay open. And I became his partner and we kind of relaunched the brand together. And of course, three weeks before COVID. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, Danny and I really uh, got hooked up, I guess it was probably right before COVID and then throughout COVID because you started doing some community stuff sort of blending now both parts of your um, of your background. Um, and that's how we really started uh, working together. Um, Steve's Hot Dogs, for uh, people who don't know, is sort of this beloved, like, St. Louis institution. And it was in this, like, tiny little spot. And then they opened a second spot and then closed the first spot, just kept the second spot. And then you then helped move into their third location, in my understanding, which is, like, the biggest one, the one that uh, you can now go visit in St. Louis on South Grand, right? That's it. Yeah, it's like our mega location. It's the one we always dreamed of. <laughs> yeah, it, it really, it really is, and it's still, it's still pretty, uh, pretty humble. But when you look at what the previous locations were, this one has a bar and a like a full bar and beer and uh, you know a kitchen that you can't see, which is amazing compared to the <laughs> sort of how it was before. Um, but yes, uh, Steve uh, is quite literally a rock star. <laughs> Uh, based in yeah. St. Louis and, you know, uh, The Urge, you can go, you find them on Spotify, it'll it'll pop up all, I don't know, dozen albums that, that these guys have recorded. So uh, I can imagine it was challenging for him to balance a, uh, a uh, restaurant, uh, <laughs> this institution and this, uh, this band that was still, uh, still has quite a following. So yeah. talk to me about at what point did you say, yeah, I'll help you say your goodbyes. You do the all the lines running down the street, and then you're like, wait a minute, I there's something more. Talk me through this jump, because there's something between, hey, there's something here, and there's something here that I want to be a part of that I can add value to. Can you go back to that moment, that decision when you decided to jump in? You and your husband are partners with Steve now, so talk to me about that moment if you can go back and uh, and get back in that headspace. Yeah. So, you know, back when we had our marketing agency, uh, my husband and I would work actually together. So he's a CFO. He's an accountant. Um, and these days, I mean, the things we've dealt with in the last 10 years, he's almost like a forensic accountant. <laughs> he can figure yeah. out things. So, <laughs> um, you know, he... Uh, so he, he and I, we would always go in and work on a company together because um, I can give them a marketing plan all day, but if they implement it and their systems are broken, then what's the point? They're throwing away a ton of money on leads they aren't following up on or whatever it is. Um, and he would also make sure that, you know, as I'm boosting their income, that they're doing the right stuff with it. Yep. And it was really a joint conversation of the two of us saying, hey, can we make enough of an impact in a part-time basis because we both have full-time jobs um, 
can can we is this company still in a good enough spot financially that we can dig out whatever's happening here and um and that's kind of where it went and 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 honestly it was just a out of a love for our friend that we just felt like we needed to help and so um we we asked him for open access to his books and we kind of dug in on the back end of of the guts of the business and we were like okay this this we can do you yeah. know and and so i thought you know if, if we were just i think you know, since COVID, businesses have been all over the map. They've 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 been real honest about their struggles, and people have rallied to help them. And I, in a way, we benefited from coming on the front of that because we were really the first people to say, "Hey, we're struggling so much so that he has to close." But here comes this person that's going to like kind of help. Will you all help her help? And yeah. that's how we did the story, you know. And and so that you know, I don't. I, we're, we were just very fortunate that the three of us together made an amazing team. So we, we spent a couple weeks just kind of feeling that out. Could we work together? Do we all have the right stuff? You know, he had the knowledge. He had the sort of being the front man aspect of it. He's excellent at that. <laughs> I could, could I handle the books and the income? Could I handle all the tech and the community building and the marketing? And it, it just felt it felt right. And so we didn't make an immediate announcement. We announced a little bit later. And then as we were going through this process, I think there was probably two or three weeks of due diligence before we jumped yeah. in. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because you're thinking like a publicist, right? Rather than... Uh, you know, how do we spread out all these press releases? How can we give ourselves something to talk about every so often? That's something that um, uh, the PR agents do do so well is like, let's find something to talk about every so often. So, okay. So, and, and this wasn't, I mean, the way you said it, you had to do your due diligence because, yeah, it, maybe it stemmed from this desire to help a friend. Um, but if, it, if there was nothing you could do, you wouldn't have done it. You saw, I mean, first and foremost, or at the end of the day, I should say, you saw an opportunity, an opportunity to, yes, help your friend, but an opportunity to revitalize a brand, maybe make it bigger than it, than it ever was. I mean, certainly that had to be, have been on your mind. Yeah. And I think honestly, a big part of it was, was Steve's was the most fun that I've ever had working for a client. So selfishly, um, I didn't want that to go away. Yeah. <laughs> so that was on my mind too. You know, we didn't, we we're just a family. We didn't have that much money to invest. Here we are just like, we didn't expect this opportunity. Our life is not structured for it. We were planning on going on three big vacations in the next month and a half. Like we, <laughs> we, <laughs> you know, like this was completely unforeseen. So there was, there was all of those things that we were kind of juggling, but really it was just for, for me, it was like, come on, like this is the most fun I've ever had. Like we, we did crowdfunding campaigns and I got to go meet the band 311 and like, you know, like all these things, you know, whatever, yeah. like we got to do the most ridiculous things. And I just thought I need more of that in my life. Yeah. Yeah. It is, it is a really fun brand and you've, you've helped turn up the, I mean, I always knew what it was for as long as I've known you and as long as I've been um, familiar with the the brand. Um, it's known what it what it was. Um, you just sort of t turned it up to eleven, um, which is now very <laughs> obvious with uh, sort of the the spirit of the the location, the the sort of the the tone you take on social media and in your web presence, and even on the menus and and sort of the the different events and the and the festivities that you put on throughout the year. It's um, you're now who you are so so completely, which is which has been really cool to see. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I don't know. It, I, I, we joke around a lot. We're like, I don't know how anybody runs a restaurant without a publicist <laughs> like that we're yeah. living in that restaurant. <laughs> yeah. It really does to be of that mindset. Yeah. Well, I mean, and like any, and so certainly the listeners will uh, appreciate this. I mean, we, we certainly all understand about wearing a lot of hats. You are the chef and you're the general manager and you're HR and you're the marketer and you're a PR and you are, legal and you like you're, you sort of do everything um but you do have to do it all pretty well or be able to outsource it and um that's not always feasible uh financially so you guys certainly brought a lot more to the table um to help uh, to help the brand grow yes talk talk to me about the growth of that brand so from the moment you joined and it was just about sort of stopping the bleeding stabilizing the brand making sure that it was profitable could pay its own bills etc because it was doing everything right it had a great product had a great following it just wasn't doing it profitably you sort of anchor that talk to me about then the year after that let's say like like what was what was that process like we were really fortunate 
coming in, and I know it sounds silly, but during COVID, because it gave us permission to pivot continuously, and we didn't really look unprofessional doing so. Um, And so, you know, I then went back into my business roots, and I'm looking at the product mix and the brand itself. And, you know, if you looked at it, if you took a snapshot of it, their first month relaunch, it looks exactly like when it went down. Um, and we didn't really make a lot of changes because we didn't really have a, a, a real feel for where we needed to go yet. But what you could see there is it had gone from Steve's hot dogs to Steve's hot dogs and burgers. And there was a whole burger menu there. And this the, the menu had just gotten bloated because they were obviously just trying anything to make it work. And yeah. um, then it was a matter of like, okay, what did work? And how do we lean into that? And, you know, what can we manage? We were, we were in a really tiny shop where we could only hold one day's worth of fresh ingredients. And so when I came in there, he was selling out of food every single day. Um, and so how do we, how do we get past that? <laughs> you know, and, and, um, you know, so then it became a matter of consolidating some of our, our menu items and finding things that we could make a, a variety of things out of the same core group of ingredients. And yeah. just trying to look, at the business basics and, and trying to get a, a handle on food costs and and are our menu items priced correctly and how how much of a price increase will the public tolerate and then rebranding everything so it looked consistent and then actually sort of looking at how when when people would walk into the shop we had this huge chalkboard wall which was beautiful but it was the whole menu and it was overwhelming and I would sit back in the corner and just literally watch people interact with the space and try to figure out how do I make it easier for them to buy more things and give us more money (laughs) because we really are trying to bounce back and um so I, I sat back and I watched them get overwhelmed and um, by, by what was on the menu. And then the space itself uh, had been really like decorated head to toe with just Star Wars toys because fans knew he was a Star Wars junkie and would just bring him anything. And he, he's a sweetheart, so he'd just keep it. And it was just everywhere. So <laughs> between funny. the giant chalkboard <laughs> and the tiny space and the toys, everybody was just on sensory overload. You know? Right. So right. I would talk them well, into one I want to go back time. just one second because you just said, and I love it. You're like, I, I want to figure out how to make it easier for them to give us money, which is something I, it's certainly you've been in the group long enough uh, and you've heard me say this. Like we talk about website, you know, web design, like your website needs to uh, make it easy for people to give you money or make it easy for people to make an appointment to give you money later. And it's the same thing true. Like when, when you talk about how to design a space, um, I, I constantly look at this at like Starbucks. Like that no Starbucks, you know, that all Star- Starbucks are not the same. And I know it's because they get the space they can get, but how um, how inefficient some Starbucks locations are. And you talk about that, like understanding how people um, behave in the real world and how they make decisions. And you're not wrong. And that's so much of what we do. And yes, you're being selfish there because you're saying you made the joke. Say, uh, selfishly, we needed them to give us money because we really needed money. Um, but there is alignment there because that's exactly what the uh, what the guest wants too, is that we're saying, uh, you know, we want to make it really easy for you to give us money and get your food. And they're saying, how do we make this really easy so I can give you my money so I can get my food? They're prepared to give us money. They already know that. They've made that decision when they walk in. What they want is the thing. So it's, you know, how can we get money as, as easily as possible and how can we get them their food as easily as possible? There's complete alignment in there. And I think, I don't think we spend enough time talking about that. Oh, I'm with you. And, you know, I'm I'm a person that years and years ago when I had my youngest child, my husband and I were were working and he was six weeks old and the company we both worked for closed suddenly. And and just the, the fear and the whatever. Ever since that day, I'm a person of, that's really obsessed with multiple income streams. Like I will never be dependent on one one thing again. So that was one of the first things I did in 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 Steve's was look at, you know, how, how, what are the different ways we can have multiple streams of income? And it was, you know, we immediately added in merch, like t- 10 minutes into it, we got some printer to give us some really cheap shirts with logos and bam, out the door they went, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and then we were, it was mid COVID and then there was all these like grants available and whatever. So I, I pursued every one of those rabbit holes to make sure that we could have ways of making money and um you know it, it, we we got really really creative and and in the end we had six or seven streams of of sales possibilities because we needed to and thankfully right. we had that time to experiment and figure it out 
it's something that I spent a lot of time the first year of this show. So the show just turned four. I spent a lot of time talking about that first year, which was really the year leading up to uh, COVID because I launched in April 2019. And um, one of the things I spent a lot of time saying is that uh, you need multiple forms of uh, multiple revenue streams. So in-person dining is one, takeout and delivery is two, third-party delivery is three, private dining, four, uh, offsite catering, merch, you know, whatever. You need multiple ways to make money. And it, it became so obvious, obviously, in March of 2020, when anybody who made their money one way, which was uh, through in-person dining, they 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 got crushed because the government said uh, you can't do this anymore. Um, that one way you make your money, you can't you can't do that anymore. And tons of places pivoted, uh, or as I like to say, evolved their business um, to say, okay, well, our people used to want us for this, and they can't get this anymore. So now we're going to give them that and. That was different for every person. It was at-home uh, cooking classes. It was, you know, uh, par-baked, um, you know, par-baked lasagna, and, and you know, all different ways that people solved that problem, which was the cool thing to see over the course of pa- uh, the pandemic, for sure. Yeah, the, the thing that was interesting, you know, somewhere along the way during COVID, our original shop was tucked into a neighborhood, and so people were afraid to go out to the nearest grocery store because it's it was kind of crazy then and um they were afraid that they'd get infected if they went grocery shopping but obviously they still needed food and we weren't letting people in but we were kind of shoving stuff out the door and so they would come and order like five days worth of food from us and then take it home That's and feed the dogs. family it's a lot of hot dogs and like mac and cheese and baked beans. Like we tried to make it as healthy as we could. <laughs> Getting all vegetables. I love how mac and cheese and baked beans were what you talked about health food. Right. So uh, we thought about adding salads at one point. They're like, it's just not us. But right. um, so somewhere along the line, somebody said, "Hey, if I if I buy a meal, if somebody's in need, would you give them a meal?" And we're like. Oh, yeah, like, absolutely. We have so many people that need meals right now. That'd be great. So she's like, great, I'm going to give you enough money for three or five meals. So I put out a call on social media. And then all these stories started pouring in our inbox and people all sort of like, hey, I've got cancer. I can't leave my house. Hey, I've got like a domestic violence situation I'm trying to get away from. Like everybody. And they're all worthy. Then I didn't want to be like, okay, well, you five and nobody else. You're all none of you. (laughs) That felt like terrible. So we just said yes to everyone. And then we backfilled it and we figured out, okay, how can we make this sustainable? Because it feels like this is a thing for a while that people need. And so we created this feed the people program and I launched it through our website and I launched it in the store and you could buy a meal for someone and we would make sure it got delivered to them and we would we delivered it to people's houses we would bring them a week's worth of food um we would uh people would come pick it up from our shop and that was it that was a huge deal and it was also an income stream for us like people were buying meals from us that then we were giving out and it'll it, it was a, it was a win-win on every level and yeah. um so that that was interesting and unexpected and 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 we also did like a portion of the meals that we would deliver to the nurses that were working around the clock and the first responders um throughout that time but that's a program that ended up staying with us and we like tonight we're having a celebrity bartender and we'll be raising funds and we put it in the in the pot and tomorrow we've got tent mission comes and they'll pick up meals and they'll take them out to the homeless encampment and you know um it's a huge core part of everything we do and honestly it's it's a huge it's a huge culture builder internally for us that that came out of it because our our employees feel so good when we have the opportunity to give back like that. And I think that that was another unexpected first year thing that stuck with us. Yeah, and I remember that's really the first the first real conversation we had because during the pandemic, I offered up, I think I offered up like five or 10 uh, free coaching sessions, like 60 minute coaching. And because I moved my business from consulting to coaching because I couldn't leave my house, I couldn't go out to visit clients, but so many people needed help. And so I was doing that for so many of my clients. And I said, oh, I I can do this. I can do this anywhere. Uh, I can do this for people who are based anywhere. So I think I put it out to the audience. And you were one of the people who said, yeah, I'd love to talk to talk to you. And it was one of the things that we talked about is uh, the menu design, sort of uh, menu engineering. And the other thing was this program. How do you sort of maximize it? And... Um, and sort of turn up the volume on it, which which I remember. I, it was it was pretty cool when I when you were telling me about it. Yeah, you're the reason we went from Steve's hot dogs and burgers back to Steve's hot dogs. Yeah, <laughs> which I'm very happy to do because I, I think it really gave 
focus we needed. <laughs> I do remember that. And they were like a ton of mac and cheeses and they were like chill. There's like chili and different kinds of chili and stuff. I remember. And one of the things was like, like do what you do. And this is advice that I believe anyway, but it really came to focus in the pandemic. And now certainly afterwards, um, as we're seeing, you know, inflation and rising food costs and stuff like that, is that do what you do, do it really well, do it better than anyone else, provide stuff that people can't get anywhere else. And then you can charge whatever you need to charge or you want to charge, because if people can only get this thing with you, um, they're, they're gonna come to you to get it. So don't try to be all things to all people, for sure, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, that was that was huge. And it, you know, I think sometimes just being able to have focus on who you are, who who are we? What are we trying to do? Yep. Because you just, it, it's something that gets lost sometimes, like you think you know, and it, you know enough to operate today, but sitting down and being like, no, this is what we're good at. Um, yep. And how do we build something around it was everything. I, and I often say this, it's one of the, the true, um, the, the best parts about coaching is that sometimes you got all the answers, you know what to do, but sometimes just having some outside perspective to help you see the forest for the trees because you get in it so deep um, that just having somebody on the outside to be like, hey, what about this? Or, hey, this doesn't track or why are you doing this? It ends up being um, super valuable. So No, I totally agree. How did you go from Steve? So Steve's then you take that over, you sort of expanding it, consolidating it, streamlining it, making it more efficient and making it profitable once again. Talk to me about, and I, I can't remember which which came first here, but you moved it to the ultimate location where it's at now. And then you also decided to buy another restaurant separate from Steve's, which is now under the umbrella of, of Hustle Hospitality, which is now the, the parent company. Um, that place is called Fountain on Locust. Talk to me about those two things. <laughs> the craziest year of my life. Um. <laughs> Today's episode of Restaurant Strategy is also brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a team management platform built specifically for restaurants. Great restaurants are built by great teams, and Seven Shifts is your secret weapon to better understand your restaurant, to hit labor targets, and keep your entire team connected. With drag-and-drop scheduling, in-app communication, task management, tip management, and more, it makes restaurant work a lot easier. From back of house to front of house, managers, franchise owners, and larger corporate teams, Seven Shifts has benefits at every single level. Plus, it integrates with the other systems your restaurant already uses, like your POS system and your payroll. Turn your team into your competitive advantage. Restaurant Strategy Podcast listeners get three months absolutely free. Get started at sevenshifts.com slash restaurant strategy. That's the number seven, S-H-I-F-T-S dot com slash restaurant strategy and get three months free and join over 30,000 restaurants using Seven Shifts today. As always, you'll find that link in the show notes. So Steve's was doing really well. We were getting, we got a Discover card grant. Marcus Lamonis, who's got this show on CNBC, like kind of took our wing or took our brand under his wing. So we're getting a lot of press and people are seeing all about Steve's hot dogs. And the owner of the Fountain on Locust was watching and she kind of taking note. And she, I think she knew, um, she, that I've been a community builder for a long time. And she too is a community builder and she's ready to retire. She was ready to retire since before COVID. Um, and so she reached out to me and said, I love what you're doing. I see what you're doing. I, I need somebody that loves St. Louis as much as I do just to fill my shoes here at this restaurant, because the fountain on locust is this iconic St. Louis place. It's on every list of, if you visit St. Louis, come here. Um, I think it's like, the number two restaurant on TripAdvisor or something for for people that are trying to figure out what they're where they should go. Right. And so we get a lot of tourists, very iconic. And um, she really didn't. She wanted to make sure that was preserved. And um, and so she reached out and we took our time and we thought about it because I still had a day job in addition to making this restaurant work. Um, I had a very very big day job as a COO that like was easily a sixty hour a week job in addition to my restaurant in addition to my family. And, um, and it felt like something was probably gonna have to give. So my husband quit his job and he said, I'll focus on the fountain and I'll focus on Steve's and we'll do this. And I was like, awesome, I'll keep doing my job. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that did not work out. But um, so we expanded Steve's to a larger location and like something like four days later, we, we announced we were buying the fountain on Locust and it wasn't supposed to end up that way, both construction timelines and whatever. That's how it, that's how it lined up. So we, um, the Danny space was in the press everywhere for like a week again. Yeah. And, 
<laughs> and, uh, and, and then we just dug in. And so we tried to go into this restaurant and, and uh, do what we said we were going to do, where he would take care of it and I would work my day job. And it was just really evident as soon as we stepped in that we needed, that they needed us. And like they needed a mom and a dad and yeah. somebody to take care of them in a way because COVID did a number on it. Like yeah. this, this restaurant where people would work a decade because the tips are so great and the culture is wonderful and all these things they had, they had been gutted by COVID and it still wasn't even open. It's full hours. And there was just a real culture problem there because of everything that they'd gone through. And so right like first week I turned in my notice at work and I shifted into consultant mode and I started to phase out immediately. And it took me about three months to phase out there, but, but the, the restaurants became our life and this is what we do now. Right. <laughs> it- I'm, so thankful. I mean, it was the best move we ever made. It felt crazy in the moment, but it is. So it's funny because that was sort of uh, my impression of it. My As I was re- remembering it, I couldn't remember which came first, but that makes sense if you're telling me they were both sort of <laughs> slapped down at the same time. Um, the, yep. the move to the larger location and you purchasing the fountain. Um, and I knew it was a lot for you to sort of like extricate yourself from this other thing and, and come in and, and all of that. So talk to me about the challenges. I mean, you sort of uh, just sort of thumbed at them a little bit, but you know, the culture had sort of disappeared in, in COVID and, and people who had worked there for a long time had sort of moved on or some of them came back. Talk to me about then that first year of the fountain because the fountain on Locust is a totally different beast than what Steve's was and the challenges that they were dealing with and they continue to deal with, they are different than the things that, that you were dealing at uh, with dealing with uh, at Steve's, um, if nothing else, then just give this the size. It's a much bigger place, much bigger menu and all that. So talk to me, let's shift gears and talk to me a little bit about the fountain. Well, um, yeah, so it was, you know, day, day two or something, the general manager and assistant manager walked out. Um, and so that's how our, our saga began. They, you know, we were coming in and just asking questions and, and I think they were freaked out that there were new owners and took it as their moment to, to leave. And I, and, um, and that, that was okay. Like, I think that, that they were called elsewhere. And I also just, um, I'm pretty protective of culture wherever I go. It's really important to me that whoever's there wants to be there. And if they didn't want to be there, then, then um, you know, good luck where you're going next. Because I, right. I want to have a team that's still in. Um, and so we didn't know where the recipes were. Uh, we didn't know anything. And I, we didn't know who the vendors were. Um, it was It was nuts. And so we just jumped in and figured it out. And that was our life. And and me being an operational person, I immediately go to writing policies and procedures and forms and documenting recipes. And, and that was our life was just figuring out what is this and how do we operate it? And, um, luckily, uh, a senior server who I adore, um, saw the look on our face when they res- resigned and he goes, you're going to be okay. And he clocked out his server and he clocked in his manager and he's our general manager now. <laughs> That's yeah. sometimes how you get the job. <laughs> <laughs> it it so, uh, very often is the time uh, the the way you get the job, especially in management, restaurant management. <laughs> and it was just so funny. We meant for it to be interim. He meant for it to be interim. Um, and then we had a good month of seeing him at work. And I was like, oh, man, do you want to keep doing this? And he got a sense of who we were and that he could trust us uh, to be yep. good partners. And that was everything. It was just a, a blessed moment. But um, so it was a lot of that. And also, you know, the fountain is this monster of a brand i mean it's it's a it's 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 art floor-to-ceiling art that that was painted by the previous owner it's a step back in time you feel like you've walked into the 1940s you've got big band music playing everything is retro um i didn't live then i don't know what i'm doing Um, (laughs) (laughs) i'm not as cool as joy the lady that painted it like as hard as i may try i'm not as wacky as her and um and so i just was really personally intimidated by the brand i as a marketer trying to speak the language of this brand uh, felt like a lot to me. So I sort of took a step back and I just, instead of inserting myself in there and doing what I do PR wise, I just observed. And I sort of felt it out because I looked back at what they've been doing. And somehow at Steve's where I'd been hustling and hustling and hustling for everything, this place had a steady following of customers coming in every day and was on every list. And to speak of, it had done essentially no marketing. They didn't have an email list. They didn't have a text list. They 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 had a very light social media presence, but somehow it was the most photographed restaurant in St. Louis. 
and it had won all of these awards. So I, I tried to learn and learn from what she'd done. And, and, um, and that, that's really, and I'm just now coming into understanding the voice of what it is, you know, being there this long and, and trying to figure out what it should be. And, um, trying to understand the ethos of the menu was a big part of the first year. And, you know, if we're going to make a change, what should it be? What is this menu? Because it's, when you look at the fountain, it's very, very, it looks like it's fancy and it's a date night place. And it really is a place where everybody goes to get engaged. But the story is not the food. The story is the ice cream. It's the cocktails. Um, and the, the food menu is very light. It's soup, salad, sandwiches, award-winning ones. But they're like, you know, right. it's pretty basic. Saving room for dessert. Um, but, you know, beginning to speak the language of somebody else's brand that was built in somebody else's head and they're no longer there is a whole different ball game than stepping into it with them as your partner. So I want to drill down on that a little bit because I was uh, I visited uh, St. Louis um, to spend some time in the restaurants uh, with Danny and her husband and Steve uh, over on Steve's and then also at the Fountain. And this was a conversation we had. You sort of set up a almost like a brainstorming session. Uh, and again, uh, you put your money where your mouth is. You know, culture is really important. You sort of invited all your management team uh, to have a, a seat at the table, quite literally. Um, and that was one of the things we talked about, especially when it came to the fountain, is that we tried to drill down and say, what is this? Like, like we, we know a lot of features about the restaurant, but like, what is it at its core? Steve's was like, you know, like crazy hot dogs. Like, like we sort of got that. You guys get that. And it's just, you strip away everything else. So it's just, it really uh, puts the impact on that. It's the energy. It's sort of like the attitude about it, but like crazy hot dogs. Like you're never going to get crazy hot dogs like this anywhere else. And we were trying to do the same thing with the fountain. So talk to me a little bit about that, because that was certainly not the beginning of the conversation, nor is it the end of the conversation. I get the feeling like I had come in and was facilitating um, the, the middle of that conversation. So talk to me about what led up to that and then, and then since that, if you can. Yeah, I think we were finding it hard to move within a structure we didn't fully understand. Like they'd all worked there, but they weren't in leadership and none of the previous leadership was around anymore. Yet here we are and we've got this great thing and we don't want to break it. And in fact, we want to make it better. Uh, and so it was it was important for us to be able to at least put some descriptor words around what do we want it to be? Like, let's forget what it was. It's ours now. And, then, and by ours, I mean the collective we because that's how we operate in our company. Yeah, and so what absolutely. do we want it to be? You know, and so that conversation we had with you, we whiteboarded out a lot of adjectives and kind of like what we wanted service to look like and kind of what our goals are for the menu. Um, And then what we did is we took that whiteboard downstairs and a few days later, we invited everyone, everyone, all 50 employees to come in. And we said, here's what we figured out. Can you help us continue this conversation? And, you know, we went around the table and we did the the activity around, um, hey, tell me one thing you like about the brand or working here. And then tell me one challenge that you have working here. Caveat, bring me a solution when you tell me your challenge. And it doesn't have to be the the final one. So we went through that activity and that actually informed a lot of what we were talking about. And that was a great way to start the conversation and get people going. But then we also talked about like, you know, if if we want everybody to have wow moments during service, Here's some that we brainstormed. What else do you have? What can you bring to the table? And it was really interesting because one of our employees just said, you know, I think a wow moment for people like me would be to see me uh, represented on the walls here. We have three three ladies painted on our walls and, and um, they're all based on traditional art deco art. So they're, they're blonde. Um, and this gal is not, she's African-American. And so is a, a good portion of our staff. And I was just like, done. You know what? Done. Yeah, that makes total sense to me. That would be really, really meaningful um, if 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 I walked into a place and I didn't see myself and then I did. So we since that meeting have had we added a muse and and she's a little more diverse and we named her Heather after the gal that um, <laughs> suggested it. <laughs> you know, and and it's, it's stuff like that. Everybody got to, hey, I want to add like a scavenger hunt when they're waiting for their cocktails. And there's so much beautiful stuff to look up around the restaurant. And, you know, we're going to stick it in the booth and they can kind of the kids can do it or they, there's be one, one side for adults and see what they can find while they're waiting for their drinks. And, I love it. You know, 
they, they continue to brainstorm out this list and together we're implementing it and they are they all fit within the lanes you helped us kind of create what do we yeah. want this to be we want it to be campy we want it to be retro we want it to be fun um you know we want it to be conversation starting you know that 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 gives people it's, it's such a great time that they go and evangelize on our behalf about what yep. a cool place this is and um it, that was a that was a pivotal moment. I can't I can't afford that much labor again to have a, a yeah. meeting that big. <laughs> but <laughs> but so, I think it's something we want to do often. <laughs> yeah. So I was so I'll uh, I'll uh, take a little pause here and say that uh, to everybody listening, right? Undoubtedly, you will do uh, you do an annual meeting. You do a meeting where you get the entire staff together. Or maybe you do it twice a year. And, and if you don't, I think you should. I think it's really valuable. And something that I learned from a, a friend and a mentor of mine is this um, is this thing that I passed on to Danny and her team. I said, when I get the entire team together, I do like basically an icebreaker and it's worth the 20 minutes that it takes to go through it. And I said, it's like, it's the two C's. Number one, you go around, everyone has to give a compliment about the restaurant. Say one thing you love about the restaurant, you love about working there, and it's like a love fest for 10 minutes. It goes around the room. Well, I love this. I love that. Love that. And it changes. It lightens up the whole room because everyone's there because they have to be and their arms are folded and this. And by the end of that 10 minutes, the energy com- completely changes. Um, I didn't invent this. I Again, I learned it and I and I just do it from time to time, especially when I was consulting whenever I go in. And um, so I passed that along and Danny did that. And then the other thing is you basically wrap around the room again and everyone gets to say, like, what's a challenge? But it's got to be usually a low hanging fruit. What's one challenge and a, a way that we could fix that relatively easily. So suddenly you're not just, so you're basically, it, it basically starts by saying, give me a compliment that goes all the way around. And then you say, give me a complaint. Except the caveat is like, uh, you know, I challenge you. Sometimes this is called the three C's, uh, a compliment, a complaint, and a challenge. Like, And I challenge you to fix the problem while we're here in the room. And so problems aren't fixed. They're written down and leadership will then decide what gets implemented or not. But suddenly people have buy-in and agency and they're thinking like problem solvers, which for a team is uh, all of that ends up being huge because they're not just complaining anymore. So somebody really wise once said, and, and I use it all the time now, a problem without a solution or without a goal is just a complaint. So like, you know, we only do $2,000 on a Tuesday night. Well, that's just a complaint. We only do $2,000 and we really need to be doing $3,000 to hit break even. Well, now with a goal, suddenly we've got a problem. So we're here and we need to get there. We can go from one to the other. And when you sort of get buy-in from your entire team that way, so, uh, and, and it just, it changes, it changes the dynamic of the room and it helps build culture, which you said, you're, you're a community builder, which is sort of a, a theme weaving through this conversation for sure. But um, that's how you help fortify a community in, you know, in this like sort of chosen family kind of way. Uh, which is what our our restaurants end up being, and I think it was it was a important it was an important and the way we ex- executed it was important because we we have these recurring issues right you every restaurant does we've got people that like call in at the last minute and don't find coverage you've got whatever and it gave our managers they they knew this exercise was coming and they thought through what are the things that are really handicapping us right now and they were able to be like you know what it is really hard for me when you guys call in last minute. And they were able to express the difficulty that and the strain that it's causing on the staff. And everybody had a version of that they could share. And it was more personal, more of a personal plea as opposed to coming down from me, which was really powerful on its own. And then the other thing is I think it, it underscored a part of our leadership culture, which is don't bring me a problem without a solution. I say that all the time. And this whole activity was like, it's okay to bring me your problem, but bring me something to start with, right? Yep. <laughs> Yep, it's no. true. And this is uh, this is another thing, and I'm, I'm sure I've talked about it on the show, but the, the one to three to one principle, tell me one problem, three potential solutions, and one recommendation. This is a problem. We yeah. can do one of these three things, and this is what I recommend. And if you start implementing that in your team, man, you get a bunch of problem solvers, a bunch of free thinkers, a bunch of creative thinkers. Um, and it just, again, it gets ownership and buy-in all the way across. And it's just, eventually, you're just you're going to have to say, yes, go. I trust you. Go do that. Go do that. Go do that. You're just delegating this problem solving, which is helping you think uh, you know, at a higher level, um, mm-hmm. like growing your company like you're doing now. 
Yeah, and it's been really exciting for our for our employees to be able to watch the aftermath of it. So it's like, oh, well, like the blender's not working really well and we need to get that fixed. Or I don't like that all of our dishes are kind of mismatched because the previous owner was like a thrifter. And so, you know, they're all different <laughs> shapes and sizes and that's hard. And, you know, so, so we just got all of our new dishes the other day and then we got our new blender. And so it's like, we heard you and we're doing it. We're not just hearing you and holding on to it. And then that alone's a huge sort of morale boost. It's like, oh, they heard me, heard me yeah. and I did something something made an impact. So it was, so, it was powerful. It's, it's really great. So now as we move forward, um, growth is a key part of your future. You've said that to me. I know that's, um, but you're really good. And I, and I marvel at this. I'm really impressed by this. So that's why I want to spend a few minutes talking about it. Um, even though you want to grow these brands, um, you're really good at measured growth, at not just jumping at the at the opportunities that come your way. Because I know for every one you've said yes to, you've turned down five or six or ten more. Talk to me about how you're thinking. Because now you've got now you're a restaurant group, Hustle Hospitality, uh, which you weren't just six months ago. So now you got Hustle Hospitality. The Steve's brand is underneath that. You've got the Fountain on Locust. That brand is underneath that. Steve's is now expanding. It's in the new Kansas City um, MLS uh, ballpark, which is uh, its own conversation. Um, there are other opportunities that are coming. Talk to me about the opportunities that are coming. And talk to me really more than that. Uh, talk to me about your thought process, how you determine where you're going to grow. That's a great question. So a, a lot of the opportunities that come my way this week, especially have been, hey, my restaurant's in trouble. Will you please buy my restaurant? Will you please <laughs> take over my restaurant? You know, um, because of the way I got into the business and because I am pretty public, um, I think that, that that's why that keeps happening. And I am now just referring them all to you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because <laughs> I know you've got the, you can help them just as much as I can, if not more. Right. So, uh, but you know, we do sincerely look at every opportunity that comes. So my, 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 unless it's just a no from my gut, I will say, let me look at your numbers and then let's grab a cup of coffee. But first send me your numbers because if they've got to have their numbers or I won't consider it because if yep. they don't, that's bigger than you dig out of. Um, and, and, then uh, and then I bring it to the team and we just literally have a gut check conversation. Is this the best use of our time? Do we have the talent and resources right now? And should they be going to this or should they be going to what we're already building and will it take us off course? We had the opportunity right after Steve's, but before the fountain for me, Steve and, and my husband, uh, Ike, to buy a, a vegan restaurant. Very affordable, very good deal. Beloved restaurant. It had closed. Um, and everything about it seemed right but our guts were telling us no um that if we did this it would take our time and attention away from steve's and steve's was the brand we all decided was like the the thing worth leaning into yep. and so we just we just keep checking back to what what's our vision i wrote out a five year five million dollar a year vision uh last year and we were were well on our way to accomplishing everything on on that vision and so you know does it take us off this does because because we've we've got great people in our world and really at the end of the day our my mission is not to grow steve's or the fountain necessarily my my mission is to create opportunity uh for all the wonderful people that choose to give their time and talent to me that's the thing that i'm motivated to do and so if that means that i grow steve's to do that or i grow the fountain to do that or i i acquire a new company or create a new company to do that that's fine but that that's the thing we keep checking back for and we more times than not have decided just to double down on what we've got so and and i, I love that I love that. So you're talking about two things that I think are so, so important, which is vision, which is understanding where the destination is. Um, I talk a lot about this when I talk about profitability, right? That uh, profitability is just like going on vacation. Like if I go on vacation to go visit my brother, um, I live here in New York. He lives in California. I got to figure out when I want to go. I got I to buy tickets for those times. I got to go to the right airport, right terminal, right gate. That's my path to get from New York to California. And uh, profitability is the same way. And, and in anything, we have to understand where we're going. And that's really what vision is, right? It's, it's standing on the, the boat and telling everybody which way to row. We're rowing in that direction. 
Um, and that, I think, provides so much of the gut check as, uh, as you're uh, describing it, because then the other piece that I want to talk about was this idea of opportunity cost, which is that if I do this, then what are the opportunities that I am foregoing, that I'm sacrificing? If I do this, I can't do that. To do this well, that means I'm going to do this less well. Or, And I think those things go hand in hand, and I wish more operators and more owners um, we're honest with themselves uh, as to where they, they want to go um, ultimately, whether that's a three-year, five-year, 10-year, 50-year plan. Um, talk to me about then what you, you said your vision is, what your vision is not necessarily. Talk to me about what it is. Yeah, you got a five-year plan. Yeah, you want to be able to honor the people who work for you. But where do you see this company going? It's interesting. I didn't see it going where I now see it going six months ago. And part of that is because I think it helps that I'm not tied to any outcome, that I'm open to whatever comes our way and I will consider anything, right? Um, I think that's really, really important because if if any, if any if the last few years have taught us anything, be ready to pivot. Um, the path is not going to be what you thought it was. And um, and sometimes something's better for you than, than you know about. And it's just out there and you just haven't seen it yet. And so we did have the opportunity to go to the St. Louis City SC soccer stadium and uh, and they just opened the season on the beginning of March and it's been amazing. Um, it's been a, a learning experience, but we are fortunate enough to have our chief growth, chief growth officer, Jeremy, has a background in concessions and in high volume food and he's able to, to really do what it takes to to get the food out fast, but also quality. Um, and our brand is strong enough and our food is awesome enough that it, it, it was a hit. It was like the number one selling brand in the stadium multiple weeks. And um, and so, and it continues to be sort of a case study to, to study. And from that, another stadium opportunity came about and now we're in another stadium. Um, and so we're now at the Dome where the Battlehawks play, the XFL Battlehawks, and uh, we'll be there for concerts and Metallica and whatever. And these are, you know, that sort of high volume environment uh, is great brand building, <laughs> you know, for us. The people see it there and they come and see us for the first time at Steve's. But just when I, I, I always think everybody knows about Steve's. I, we have been everywhere. Um, and, and I'm always shocked when, I, when people say they haven't. And a lot of people are discovering us for the first time at these stadiums. And that was never on my radar. Yeah. And the, the you know, and, and, uh, I, and I think that's a new direction for us. That's something we want to lean into. I think we're really, really good at it. And uh, we just didn't know that was even a possibility. Yeah. for us. And so I think that that work for Steve's we're going to continue to lean in that direction. Talk to me for just a few minutes about growing pains cuz when you go from 1 to 2 to 3 to 5 locations of these brands, you suddenly um you need infrastructure certainly at the corporate level as like a sort of like an you know under that uh that hospitality group. Talk to me about that process and sort of what you've learned over the last year going through that? I think that the big, big, big thing is that we are as limited as the people that we have in our world. And so that we must always be looking for talent anywhere it is. And that's luckily, that's a lesson I came with to this world that I learned when I was in Keller Williams. Uh, I watched them time and time again meet somebody who is talented, not know where they should put them, but go ahead and scoop them up and we'll figure it out. And that's sort of the mentality that I live by now is, is if I see, um, if I see talented people out there, I will scoop them up in some way and, and then find a place for them. You know, we, we lost our, our general manager last week at one of our locations. And luckily, because we sort of operate as a leadership factory, we had somebody else who was ready to step into that position thankfully. And, and sometimes that can be really, really crippling. I mean, I'm, as a restaurant owner. And so now we're on the hunt for who else needs, you know, what, where's some additional talent that we can plug in so that they can be ready for our next location or our next staffing change. And, um, and that's for me, it's imparting that mindset to all the leaders in our company to think the way that I think about this and to think the way that my husband thinks about it, that every person that comes into our world comes with some sort of inherent gift. We need to figure out what it is and put them to work um, using their talents to to do what we're doing. So if somebody is a natural content creator, but we've got them working in the kitchen and they're happy with that, that's great. But maybe we move them into a role where marketing is part of what they do or content creation is part of what they do. Yep. So, you know, 
it, it's a lot of that. We, we definitely operate as a leadership factory. And I know I had a conversation with another restaurateur yesterday, a dear friend, and she was talking about how her growth is really limited by her ability to get out of the kitchen. She just can't get out of the kitchen, but mm-hmm. she's trying to open to a new location. And she was saying, yeah, just, I marvel at how you guys do it. And I think the luck is that I, I come from that corporate background. And so we operate where we're, we're a little office heavy, um, but we've got resources for everybody because we're trying to make sure that we're taking care of our people, that we're always scooping up talent and that nobody's burning out because they didn't feel supported. Yeah. And one of the really interesting things about you is that, I, and I think where you sort of set yourself apart from, I think, a lot of the listeners here, is that you're not an owner-operator. You really are just an owner. It's not saying you haven't gone in and rolled up your sleeves and done the work that needs to be done in the restaurant. But for the most part, you are not required to be there in order for the place to operate. And I think it frees you up to think more deeply um, and more broadly about this company and the opportunities and and all of that. But I know that didn't happen by accident. I know that's by design. So talk briefly about that, because I'm sure there were moments when it would just be too easy to say, oh, I'll just plug in here and I'll be the GM. Oh, I'll just plug in and I'll run this place for a couple of months until we find the right person. But I know you've resisted that. We have. And, I, you know, there's there's a great book called Multipliers out there. And I forget the author. I usually have it with me. But um, and I, I highly recommend seeking out that book. But it, it, it yeah, I think when you're early on in your leadership career, you tend to think I'm the smartest person in the room. I'll just do all the things. It's fine. And then and, you know, people get in your way and they're all idiots. Um, and so I've seen that time and time again. I was that for a minute. Like I, I didn't know what the heck I was doing. And, um, and but now that I'm more mature in my leadership and whatever, I, I see the, the, the value of pausing, slowing down for a minute, pouring everything that's in my head into somebody else's head and bringing them up a level and then taking their talents and letting that bring me up a level. Um, you know, I'm always trying to raise my leadership too. But um, and, and so we can't really operate in an environment where I'm always keeping stuff to myself. Um, delegation is key, but like thoughtful delegation as well. And really pouring into your people and giving them the opportunity to do is everything at the end of the day. And so I want every leader in my company to think that way. And if they don't, you know, the, the person we had to say goodbye to didn't have that mindset. And, and, uh, so we've got to be a little bit more diligent when we're doing our hiring to make sure that they're the 51 percenters, um, that as, as (laughs) Danny Meyer would say that, that they, they, because that really can't be taught. I thought that it could be taught. It can't really be taught either. You kind of have it or you don't. Um, you either have that empathy, uh, that can turn into all these other things or you don't. And so I think that that's, that's really the key that staves off a lot of our our growing pains is that we're continuously staying in that mindset. Yeah. All right. Talk to me about you. You know, again, we, we you started you started this conversation by talking about how you're a community builder. Um, one of the things that I really marveled at when I came down there to visit St. Louis is uh, the the few days that I was down there um, overlapped with uh, an event that you host twice a year at uh, the Fountain. Uh, where you basically get together all these restaurant owners from all over the city, and it started small. It's grown to be quite big, and I had the uh, the great fortune to be able to sort of address that crowd and sort of get to meet a bunch of people down there. Um, but that really stemmed this idea of like gathering everybody who's dealing with the same stuff and really building community, even though you do sort of compete against each other for dinner dollars, let's say, or lunch dollars, you're, you're collaborating much more generously. I don't know a lot of markets that do that regularly, and I thought it was something really special that you guys have done. Talk to me about that, because if there's one takeaway that the listeners uh, get from this episode, I hope it's this, is that it's so easy to organize and gather really passionate, smart people who are all struggling with the same thing um, to all get together. So talk to me about that. I I don't know what you call it, a mastermind group, a, um, a sort of networking, what is that? Um, we just started out with four restaurant owners having beers and it was during <laughs> COVID and we're all, we're all standing very far apart. Um, but we're, we were all struggling and I was brand new to the industry and I, I'm a, I'm a big ask questions, even if people think you're an idiot, ask questions kind of person. Um, and I hate being the smartest person in the room. I always seek out people that are, that are smarter than me. And, um, and so it felt like in this moment, I couldn't be the smartest person in this room when the industry that we're in, I have so much to learn. And so I just asked some people and so did Steve, uh, that we really respected to come and have a beer with us. And just like, let's talk through, how are you getting through staffing and how are you dealing with this and public perception? 
situation is real crazy right now when you make this move or you don't with masks. And, you know, we were just, um, there were so many things that we didn't, that we were trying to make all these decisions. You're already kind of siloed in this industry because you feel competitive, but then you add on there that, that we were all physically siloed um, in that moment and hadn't seen another soul in a really long time that we could talk to like that. So that's how it began. Um, and then each time we held it, a few more people came and a few more people came. And I think we had, I don't know, 40, 45 people by the time you came to town. And yeah. it's really, it's powerful. And, and um, you know, it takes a minute for people to put down their armor and just share. Mm-hmm. But if you can facilitate like a judgment-free zone, and that's where the beer can help sometimes, is just everybody <laughs> put down their guard. <laughs> you know, um, we literally, it's, it's other than the time you came, it is so informal. We stand in a circle and we just talk. Hey, like, how are you handling this right now? And then it starts it. And then they'll be like, oh, well, I'm having an issue with my POS. What are you guys doing about this? And oh, well, I'm having this issue with payroll. And, yeah. um, you know, uh, I've really been struggling with this vendor. They're just never showing up on time. Who are you using? And, and then at the end of it, we all leave with collaborations. Like I've, we've, we did a, a, a special with Mission Taco here locally that came out of that. Um, we've done all kinds of different sort of events with each other. And I think that that's what I'm in it for is the collaboration and the community stuff and, and helping other people is just at the core of who I am. So, and I'm all about breaking down people's barriers and making them super uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Which it's difficult. And, and you, you know, you said it a second ago, we're also siloed. That's the, the, the worst part about being an independent operator, right? That the, that the big restaurant chains have, have, um, you know, more weight, more pull, they they can lobby. And, uh, one of the reasons why I think that the independent restaurants maybe suffered longer or worse than they needed to is because we didn't have a, a coalition. We didn't have an alliance. And I think, and I think the the more we can do to combat that, the better off we're going to be. And I just see the power of that that a network can have. It doesn't matter what network, whether it's formal or informal. Um, but if you can put a, a drop a date on a calendar a couple of times a year, um, where you agree to all get together to ask questions, to be the stupidest person in the room, and and to just lean on each other. In da- undoubtedly, you're going to have value to bring to the table. Other people are going to you know bring insights that are going to help you in your business. I, I really, I, it was incredible to watch. Yeah, and I would say you know if you if you just if you just love helping people host one of these because the uh watching the the weight come off their shoulders when they realize that there's somebody else going through this is amazing but the other benefit that i didn't expect was well first off lifelong friendships that i have with these people like they're they're people that i call for everything now but the other thing is that you know some of those people have sent a really great business opportunities my way i'm expanding somewhere else because of some of the people in that room that that they couldn't do it so they referred it to me because they knew i could handle it and so you know and i've done the same back to them with other things so there's there are there are certainly really lucrative business opportunities that can come out of it but at the end of the day it's friendships it's supporting each other and um and learning something that perhaps you didn't know before 100 percent, and it is not as uh difficult as you may think it is uh like danny said it really is just about you know if there's a night that your restaurant's closed uh just agree to host this and just send out paper invites walk over with flyers to all of these places uh send emails you, you undoubtedly uh, already know a bunch of people it doesn't it doesn't have to be all that formal so you know hot dogs and beer my place this uh this upcoming sunday night we're going to do this four times a year and uh, if you can make it just uh email me back Yes. Yeah. And it's great because, you know, people come out of curiosity and just to be with the other chefs they respect. And, you know, it's it's a, it's it's great. I highly recommend it. Absolutely. Um, I love that. I'm glad we got to touch on that. Listen, I want to be really respectful of your time. I got five quick questions to ask you before I let you go. Is that cool? Sure. OK, great. First question. What's the last great meal you had? Oh, a cashew chicken from the little Chinese place down the street. <laughs> OK, great. I love it. Um <laughs> What's the last great hospitality touch you've had? Hmm. Hmm. It's been a minute. You know what? I don't go out as much as I used to. <laughs> uh, perhaps the uh, curly straws when we went out for drinks here in St. Louis. I thought that was awfully great. <laughs> the curly straws. It takes. Here's the here's the theme. Every time I ask this question, uh, it takes so little to make people feel special. I mean, it really it really does. Curly curly straws, y'all. Curly straws. <laughs> yeah. 
All right. If a genie came down, could grant you one wish, just one. Uh, the other two are used up. Um, one wish as it relates to our industry, what would you wish for? More talent, I think. More more people to come into our world. I was going to say more resources so I could help more restaurants, but I really think it's just more more people that are in it for the long haul in this industry and want to stick around and build something. I love that. Uh, all right, fourth question. Uh, what would you tell someone who's about to open their very first restaurant? Um, be ready to be able to do all things, uh, you know, or, or have people in your universe to help you. You can't do it all by yourself. Work to build a team. I love it. All right, last question. Uh, tell me about the future of restaurants. I want you to look five years down the line. Uh, tell me something that you think is coming that other people may not see coming. I, 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 I don't know. I see that, that our, I, we actually may start seeing people come back to the industry to work for us as, as things shift economically and people start leaving jobs that they, they, they don't want to be with drones in a boardroom or working remotely or whatever. And they want to start coming back and having more interactions with people. I actually foresee that coming. I know a lot of people will disagree with me, but I think that a lot of jobs are going to go away due to tech and things that are out there. And a lot of people are making choices to, to do something massively different in their life. And I think this actually is an industry where we might have more talent coming back soon. I love that. I think that uh, ties right in with the the genie thing. I think uh, it'd be great if people came back. Um, I tend to agree with you. I think I think people will come back as well. Um, listen, Danny, I appreciate your time. This has been a great conversation. Where can people go to learn more about you, your restaurants, everything you're up to? Uh, you can go to www.hustl.group. Excellent. And that'll have links to all of the restaurants and all of that. Uh, a couple of books and things you mentioned, I'm going to go through, make sure to include the links uh, to those um, if I can find them. And I'll even link to Steve's uh, Spotify. Um, you can find a couple of good playlists. You got to check out some of his music. I mean, he's like a bona fide rock star. Uh, and anybody who like was like came into music in like the 90s, like you, you will dig it. You will you will get it. Um, he's yes. awesome. We will do that. Awesome. Awesome. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. Listen, uh, Danny, I appreciate you being here. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks, Chip. I appreciate it. Once again, I want to thank Danny for taking the time to join us to talk about her journey and share some of the insights she's learned along the way. Uh, as promised, all those links are in the show notes, so go check it out. One last reminder, uh, if you're curious about the coaching program I run, about the P3 Mastermind, if you're struggling with profitability in your restaurant, then please get in touch. Set up a free 30-minute coaching call with me. Visit restaurantstrategypodcast.com slash schedule. 30 minutes, again, absolutely free. No pressure to join. Just come and learn about what's going on. I'm going to hear about you and your restaurant. You're going to ask questions about the program. We'll see if you're a good fit. And if not, hopefully you will still come away from that conversation with a little bit of value, things to apply to your business, to move the needle in your business. As always, I appreciate you guys being here and I will see you next time.